Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dadcore Cinema Club. Celebration of the cable classic, the middlebrow masterpiece, those movies that never stop reminding you the dangers of revenge and the importance of keeping it silent. I'm your host, Brandon. Joining me as always is Charlie. It's hey, Charlie. Charlie. It's me. Charlie, keep Charlie, run it silent. Oh shit. I need you to run it silent and run it deep this week. Do the whole episode in uh, NPR voice. We're going to do NPR voice the whole episode. <laughs> I don't know You're if I have that to in me. This American Life. Ooh. Ooh. But no, uh, this is the Death Course Cinema Club. We're coming back to you. We're going to talk about a sub-movie. This is technically our second sub-movie. Technically. Because we did uh, No Sudden Move, which was about a big sub. Oh, this right. One, yeah. Kind of in the background of No Sudden Move was that it was a sub movie, or at least about a super sub, uh, the dangers of such. Wait, No Sudden Move? You mean No Way Out? No Sudden Move. No, No Way Out. I'm sorry. <laughs> no Way Out. No Sudden Move is the Soderbergh movie from last year. I was like, whoa, did That's we cover a good that? one. It's <laughs> a good movie. Uh, no Way Out, that movie whose title I knew, mm-hmm. I was testing you. It really uh, fucked no, this me week- up, to be honest <laughs> I thought I nailed it. I thought I had it. I was like, it's totally, it's got a no in it. I mean, you said it so confidently and naturally that I assumed that I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I put on my confident host voice. But this one is in a sub. It's in a sub. Most of it's like 90% of it's in the sub. It's got a sub. It's got a dom. It, it does have a sub-dom relationship on the ship. Um, Definitely. But we're talking about Run Silent, Run Deep, classic uh, 1958 picture from Robert Wise starring Clark Gable and Burt Lancaster. Sort of in a way, let's say 1958's Heat. Mm, yeah, that's these, what... These two, these two stars finally coming together. That's what they were saying at the time. You can look at the poster. Creative. I have it up in front of me. I love this poster. It has like two taglines in there. Together and all the seven seas, never two like these. Terrific. And the mightiest adventure the ocean's ever unleashed. Damn. Bars. Finally, the poster is these two dudes, you love them. In a movie, you'll love the movie. Yeah, I uh, I watched the TCM Ben Mank intro for this. Ooh. And uh, he was saying that Burt Lancaster gave clark gable top billing um but that it probably wasn't an ego thing it was probably a shrewd thing because lancaster was one of the producers and a movie with gable's name on the top would just sell better lancaster had that run of sort of producing his own movies he was kind of in my head uh i got really into lancaster i think just last year uh basically i got into i loved the train and started just diving into him and in my head, I keep comparing him like like as if he's that his era is Tom Cruise. At some point, he became movie star producer uh, who is like known for doing his own stunts. But he's sort of like a Tom Cruise who never stopped doing character pictures as well. Like Run Silent, Run Deep is not a movie that Tom Cruise would do today in his like late career. Whereas Burt Lancaster was still doing the, this kind of movie. He was still doing character pictures. Yeah, and like being very involved in productions but not ever being the director yeah he wasn't getting in the way yeah which i feel like an interesting you know route for uh i guess a lot of actors do that 
it just seems like if you wanted a lot of control, you would also just direct. But I guess that is like a lot to be doing if you're in front of the camera also. Yeah, I wanted too much. But no, you had two like egos in this movie. And it makes sense if you want to get Clark Gable on, you got to give him something. Yeah, man. I love Clark Gable. This is my only Clark Gable movie, actually. Damn, that's fucked up. Well, I don't know. I said I love Clark Gable on Twitter in some capacity recently, and people were like, you know, he's like sexually assaulted some people, which I didn't know then, but I do know now, so I feel like I should probably uh, put that out there. That's why I hadn't watched his movies yet, actually. I was had a sense for those kind of things. I, I had a vibe, and I was like, nope, can't. Don't want to sanction his buffoonery. He's got a weird vibe. Well, you know, uh, it's a little mustache. Just I don't trust it. I, it's like cemented to his face. He's always <laughs> got the little mustache. He uh, I mean, I never shut up about my own personal history. So people will know that I'm an Atlanta person and gone with the wind is just like an inescapable thing around here. I feel like Clark Gable is just in the ether. In, in many ways, it's like the uh, major league of, of Atlanta. Right, yeah. Yeah. Racist in very different ways, I think. <laughs> uh, I I really like this stretch of his career, though. Uh, Clark Gable, I mean, um, like one of my other favorite movies, The Misfits, uh, it was just a few years after this and right before he died. But you kind of get this thing where he's like, still the big star of the movies but he's like contending with this newer generation of uh like big big hollywood stars that would dominate the 50s and 60s i hadn't actually realized this was so close to the end of his i was gonna say career but i guess also the end yeah end of his life and end of his career were kind of the same thing he looks very weird with his little mustache he's just got like a weird face he's someone where like if you saw someone that looked like him just walking down the road, you'd be like, what the fuck? <laughs> he doesn't look like a normal guy. But in uh, in Run Silent, Run Deep, he is a commander? I don't know. What's his rank? He's, he's a captain in the Navy. A he's a captain. Submarine captain. Yeah. It's like a, this movie, just run it down real quick. It's a uh, tale of revenge, a tale of obsession. It's, it's really, it's an adaptation of a book. I believe the book is called Run Silent, Run Deep but they took the title and nothing else kind of threw oh. it out. I think they kept the characters. It's a very sexy, of, very sexy title. Yeah. They took like the, yeah, it's a great title. It's one of the, I think it's one of the best titles really run silent, run deep. It, it just immediately tells you what this movie's about, which is submarines. Yeah. Which we were kind of talking about in deciding which movies we we're going to do that. Uh, just the submarine movie, I feel like is so such a dad a dad genre oh yeah it's a it's a great way and we'll get into this in the movie it's a great way to trap characters in a room or a hallway while still moving us through the world like you get both this ability to go on an adventure while also not technically leaving a confined space uh character drama yeah and it's also i mean they're always war movies Mm -hmm. so you get everything that comes with that too you get it they're like a like closet war movies 
a pocket war movie. You get like this very uh, enclosed space, very limited number of characters, but with uh, shit blowing up and very uh, life and death stakes going on. Yeah, they're they're like the bottle episodes of war movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, not actually limiting the scope because you still have these explosive settings and and big battles. It's just also our characters can't leave this tiny little ship. Um, but to get back to the summary of the movie real quick, it's this it's this Moby Dick style uh, tale of revenge. They basically took that book, Run Silent, Run Deep, and took the characters and said, well. We're going to rewrite it. It's going to be about the main guy's obsession with revenge. So Clark Gable plays a sub-captain whose sub gets sunk by a Japanese warship and then spends the rest of the year afterward because he survives. He gets picked up. And he's like, he's the only one of his crew who survives. Everyone else dies. Um, so he spends the rest of like a whole year obsessed with revenge. He gets sent out again uh, to chase down this warship. He just dedicates basically his life to taking down this Japanese ship that killed all of his crewmates and, and to, 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 you know, get back that failure, uh, his, his initial failure to, 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 to win again, second chance and butting up against him is like his second in command, Burt Lancaster, who would rather not die. Yeah. Well, he also is supposed to be the captain of the sub. They, uh, they Anakin him, they make him a master, but, uh, He's not in, in command. Yeah, the setup of this movie is real quick. I was my, this was my second time seeing it. I watched the movie for the first time last year, um, and this time, so I was paying attention to the pacing. So I remembered it being the main the main impressive thing to me is like this movie is so tight. It's nine like ninety five minutes. It is, and it gets through this whole tale without missing a character beat that you would need in that time. It's fully developed, and part of how it does that is it starts as late as possible as it can, like to the inciting incident. It's just like the movie opens. It's Clark Gable on a sub. He's firing away at the warship. His sub sinks. Cut to credits. Mm-hmm. And then we come back from credits and it's him in his room at his desk in his, like, uh, you know, in his office where he's been grounded playing like battleship on a table with his like assistant. Oh yeah. On the bungo straights, the bungo straights. That, yeah, yeah, that's where he got sunk in the Bungo Straits. It's such a funny, it's so funny to me. The, it's a funny name for a place. Yeah, it is a real place. Because I was laughing at that too. Because I just assumed it was like a made up, um, like vaguely Japanese sounding thing. But that, no, that it's like a real, a real place. Well, the guy who wrote the book was a captain. So I think he ripped the characters and the concept from his experience in the war. And so I think like a lot of the characters are either they're not re- usually, I think I don't think the names are real, but he ripped them from people he knew and the locations were real. Um, but yeah, uh, the Bungo Straits. So they call those, they call the ship that sinks him Bungo Pete. Yeah. They've got a little figurine for Bungo Pete. I, I What I love about that opening and how tight it is, is like I said, within the first two minutes, he has sunk inciting incident like established before the credits hit hey this is what happened to him this is why he needs revenge by like minute five we've cut we're done with the credits we cut back to him in his office and we see that he's practicing a war game on a tabletop with little figurines and he's playing out his strategy and after he wins his assistant says you've sunk bungo 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 
You've sunk bunghole Pete 200 times in 200 <laughs> days in no time at all within five minutes telling us not only he was sunk and then he spent the better part of a year obsessed with it. And yeah. like, we don't need to spend 15, 20 minutes with him in that year looking at him like it could have done montages of him of him like obsessing and practicing cutting between him being bored with family life going back and forth and you could have like a drawn out this guy is sad and instead the movie's just like no you've sunk him 200 times 200 days that establishes exactly who you are and your obsession now we're getting you back on a sub yeah they also like really expediently get through everything you need to know about the Burt Lancaster character to mm-hmm. where like he has recently been made captain. His crew like gives him a jacket because they love him they so love much. Him. His crew is excited. They're talking about this jacket. I think it's Don Rickles that gives it, him the jacket, yeah, right? The, apparently, so, this was you know Don the little Rickles guy debut. next to Rickles in that scene. Huh? There's like a little guy in the crew. He's got like kind of big ears. The uh, he throws away the trash. Oh yeah, the trash guy. The That's trash a big, guy uh, is big plot point. Yeah, and Nick Kravitz. He's Nick Kravitz. He was uh, in real life Burt Lancaster's circus partner. So when he when Burt Lancaster was an acrobat in the circus, that guy worked with him. Hell, and this is he's in yeah. a lot of Burt Lancaster movies. This is one of the few where he gets to talk because he has like a thick Brooklyn accent. And usually Burt Lancaster was in like period pieces where uh, uh, Nick Kravitz uh, accent would sound weird. And like his fake Robin Hood movie, it would be very weird if like a guy with a Brooklyn accent was talking yeah. to who's a mute guy in this movie. But in this movie, he gets to talk because he's on a sub. I mean, World War II movie, you need a guy with the broken accent. Yeah. So, yeah, they hand him this jacket that says Captain on it. It's very cute. Oh. Yeah. Uh, but that only takes a few minutes, too. And you you really get everything you need to know about uh, Lancaster. He's a guy who's worked his butt off, who's getting promoted after years of work. Everyone in his crew thinks he deserves it. And he's righteously angry that he is just as soon as he gets the jacket from his crew wasting no time a commander comes down and says by the way you're gonna be a captain one day but uh we gave your uh we gave your ship to clark gable yeah he went over your head he complained to the manager that he didn't have a ship he did (laughs) yeah he literally did but then like all after that i feel like saying that it's based on Moby Dick is a little misleading because it is just Moby Dick. It's just Moby Dick. They just do Moby Dick. <laughs> but on a submarine. Like I said, they they threw out the book that they took the title from and then just made a 90-minute Moby Dick. All the submarine stuff is f- really fucking cool. It's fucking sick. From minute one at the intro when he's firing stuff, it's just the detail of how... Like the, we have this guy on top who's spotting for distance, who relays the coordinates to the, to the navigator down below, who then aims the ship in the right direction. And then they yell five different people yell fire torpedo one over it. They pull a bunch of levers. Uh, Robert Wise, the director was like a stickler, I think for the accuracy of this. Like, I think, uh, I mean, I think I was reading about it today. Uh, World War II, like veterans have talked about how this movie's submarine, it, it, the, the combat shown in the movie is like really accurate to what the experience was in World War II. It submarines. gave them horrible post-traumatic stress to yeah, watch it. They, they were... Ran out of the theater. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of fucked up. He kept insisting, like he's trapped into the seat. He didn't let them leave because he needed to know how good it was. Yeah, every 
veteran that he made pass out at a test screening. He was just cheering and clapping in joy. Yeah, he kept showing it, and they they would reshoot the scenes if less than 50% of the audience passed out. That was his goal with the movie, was to re-traumatize as many World War II submarine veterans as possible. Yeah, when they put terrific on the poster, they meant terrifying. Yeah. The just it used to mean terrific in the biblical sense <laughs> but uh, uh like all the sub stuff there's a really good and i think like especially for the time like a really convincing mix of like sets and uh rear projection and miniature work like it's all sold very well it's seamless completely uh the miniatures look amazing where they blow up real good they do. There is just like you can tell. I know it's a mini sub. I know it's a mini sub because they didn't film with a real sub. But the way that they keep intercutting between, because I would say, it's, so by minute ten we're inside the sub, and then the rest of the movie is the sub. We don't leave the sub. Um, for that period, I would say like ninety percent of what's shot is in the hallways and rooms of the submarine, and most of the shots from outside the submarine are on top of the submarine. Mm-hmm. It's the guys on the lookout. And then intercut with that would be shots of miniatures and some underwater shots of torpedoes moving. But the way it intercuts between the miniatures back to the rear projection test, because they use, they'll use rear projection for the guys on the, uh, is it the deck? Mm, the, the top de- the part bridge? of the submarine. The top part of the submarine. He's like looking with his binocs, looking out and going, I'm Clark Gable. They'll use rear projection. So it's like, look, he's on the water. And then they'll intercut that with the guys down below who are inside of a some a set that they would have built in a studio somewhere. Um, and the way that it cuts between those really ties them together in a way that makes the whole thing feel believable. Yeah, the the I think the black and white helps a lot to sell it too. Like I think this is really well photographed. Um, the only thing you get is like sometimes you notice that like it must be so fucking hard with all the water because like small waves and small drops of water do not like behave like giant waves do. So you mm-hmm. get like a weird, like hyper real kind of effect sometimes with the miniature shots, the miniature shots when, uh, especially it's when the, uh, sub is heading straight and there's like either depth charges being landed next left and right of it or shots from a warship hitting left and right. And there'd be these giant explosive, uh, uh, spurts of water on the side of the ship. And you can tell that that is a small droplet and not like a life-sized uh, yeah. missile going through the water. Because like you said, uh, water behaves differently in, in miniature and full scale. But it it just, I don't know, it works. The, the dynamics between Gable and Lancaster and the crew and the two of them are like really interesting and really well handled too. There's like a, a very dad war movie thing where like even if you don't like your commanding officer or like what they're telling you to do is like insane. The the moral and good thing to do is to still do what they say. Like your your uh, commitment to like the chain of command and the rule of law is so like so far supersedes anything else that like even if you have a crazy captain that's like sending you on a suicide mission, if you're a good guy and a good soldier, you just gotta, you know, shut your mouth and uh, do, do it. I think the first time I saw this, I expected Lancaster and Gable to come to bigger blows than they do. 
but Lancaster for most of the movie is just begrudgingly following orders. He follows orders and he, and he is constantly telling the rest of the crew to get in line and follow their captain. And if they have any problems to tell them to him and to not mouth off on the ship. Uh, so like it's, you know, he disagrees with Clark Gable, but he respects the chain of authority. And so a lot of their, um, a lot of their conflict throughout the movie is it's a lot subtler. It's a lot of, it's, it's sort of uh, boiling under the surface instead of like exploding out into, into huge arguments. Yeah. Uh, and like, it's interesting too, that what the crew is upset and like potentially mutinous about isn't, isn't that the, that Clark Gable is like, being hyper dangerous or whatever it's that they they think that they're being like cowardly it's like they're not upset that they might get killed they're upset that they're like not getting enough action because when in like the plot of the movie they're headed out to sector seven or whatever which is the dangerous area but they're not supposed to go to the bungo straits those are the rules Rules specifically say go in there but you're avoiding the bungo straits so they Which are I'm just... sure Command knew that Clark Gable would follow to the letter. Of course, he's a normal guy with a normal brain. Yeah, they're sending the Bungo guy out into Sector Seven. They didn't know what they didn't know what PTSD was back then, so they had no idea that he would be obsessed. So it's fine. So he's like no way to predict. In instead of like seeking out boats to destroy or whatever they're supposed to be doing, he's just constantly drilling them on diving fast and shooting torpedoes fast they're so like their mission when they go out there is to shoot down any cargo ships they find and to take out any other japanese ships they find so they're supposed to basically be going through and disrupting trade routes uh, military trade routes, not civilian ones obviously um, wow this is just getting more and more like the star wars prequels mm -hmm. yeah it's it's exactly the same <laughs> during a blockade and everything but uh, instead, because like they, yeah, when they're going out there, the first thing they do is they encounter a Japanese submarine behind them, uh, following them. And Gable's like the whole crew is saying, well, "We're going to turn around and fight them, right? Like our our ship is faster. We can do a complete one eighty and fire before they can do anything. Like we can, we got them. This is our job." And Lancaster's like, "This is our job. Why are we not doing this?" Clark Gable's like, "Keep going. We're going to run away." And everyone thinks he's a coward. And there's a great scene between. Gable and Lancaster Robert goes through his room and goes, he, he kind of chews him out and, and says, I know what you're doing. Like you're taking, I know what direction you're taking us. Like, I know what you're doing. Um, I don't agree with this. You're obsessed. And then when he leaves the room, he does this really nice thing of, uh, he says, by the way, I don't believe it. I don't believe that you ran away cause you're a coward. Yeah. Which is like such a subtle, good jab as you're leaving the room. He was doing the uh, the Trump people have been saying thing. Mm -hmm. He's like, hey, just so you know, people have been calling you a coward. I don't think you are one, but that's just the words yeah. going around that uh, you're Look, a coward. The crew is saying you're a stinky doo-doo baby who can't, you know, uh, handle himself. But I don't agree with them. I'm I saying, think you're not a stinky doo-doo baby. Saying no, no, don't call him that. Yeah. Every time someone says it, I'm like, stop calling our captain a stinky doo-doo baby. And I just thought you should know. Hey, uh, I just want you to know, uh, I don't think that you suck. Yeah, a uh, big part of this, like, first act of the movie is just like a training montage, essentially. They're doing sports practice 
after a while. Yeah, they're running drills. And it's... The drill is interesting because the drill is learning how to be above the water, start sinking at 50 meters, fire off two torpedoes, and then keep diving. So the idea is to like fire straight ahead and dive at the same time so that before your missiles, before your torpedoes can even be detected, you're underwater and out of range. Uh, Which is not the way any ship, any sub actually fights, at least according to the crew. They're all like, what the hell are we? No one fights like this. What are we doing? And the answer is, it's the it's the strategy that Clark Gable came up with over a year of obsessing with how to defeat Bungo Pete. His decision, this warship's too fast. No one can defeat it. The only way we'll defeat it is by being faster, is being able to fire and sink ourselves within, or fire and dive within 33 seconds. Yeah, he's a maverick. He's, he's got fast. all new ideas. There's a really, just uh, like another little technical thing during all of that, um, is like whenever the ship is diving wise will like super subtly pan the camera up and it's like almost unnoticeable but it does so much to like sell that they're in a submarine the whole time too they're getting uh they're listening to the radio broadcast from one of the the tokyo tokyo rose which is cool and apparently real that there were just radio broadcasts in english that are like you're going to die you suck japan is the best it's very funny and interesting and it makes for good cinema how common that was in a number of wars in the 1900s like that's a pretty common theme in like vietnam movies yeah i remember it being a thing in like uh i think dunkirk they're like raining flyers down that say like you've already lost retreat it's a very cinematic detail i'm just i'm just i'm glad that uh the uh puppet masters of war across the ages have just made it interesting you know for storytelling purposes thank you japan i just like that they are like shit posting during the war (laughs) they got shock jocks on the air (laughs) actually you already lost loser you suck Ooh, sorry about all your dead soldiers yeah she's on the air talking about how many ships they've gone down um but the first time we hear her is actually right after they win a fight. They won a fight. They test out their drill drill method. Test out their drill against a warship, which is it's an interesting one because you get to watch the plan come into action and see and watch the crew, including Bert, figure out where Gable's head's at. Because they're all like, "We're gonna." So there's they get up to a convoy, and there is uh, a cargo ship. And then there's a warship. And I think everyone in the in the uh, sub thinks they're going to attack the warship first. Because obviously you'd go for the ship. If you can take down the attacker before it notices you, you have all the advantage to just then take on the defenseless cargo ship. And instead, uh, their Captain Clark Gable has them take on the cargo ship first, which is weird. And as soon as he takes on the cargo ship, the warship prans to them and comes head on. And with the ship coming head on and fire raining down on all sides of the sub, just big splashes. Uh, Clark Gable's up on, on the top of the sub looking out with his binoculars, spotting the enemy while like explosions are going off left and right. 
Um, it's a really epic. They do that both times. They really get in a big fight in this movie. And it's really cool. They're just like the image of the captain on the bridge looking out while like literally bombs are going off 10 feet away and just like keeps his cool. Yeah. And like after that, after they get off the bow shot and like sink the boats, the crew is like fully on Clark Gable's side. They're like, fuck yeah, we got to kill some people. And Don Rickles is like, very impressed about how calm uh captain clark gable was throughout the whole thing he i that is such a great role for don rickles it's his uh first live action it's his first role that's what ben minkowich told me uh he's great and it's it's a treat to get like a a dramatic don rickles performance yeah i really good he's like the mouthiest crew member he's good i came into this seeing Jack Warden on the poster and thinking that that would be the standout character guy in the movie, but it's definitely Rickles. Jack Warden's not, you know, no slouch either, though. No, he's he's really good. I mean, the, those two are a lot better than the other guys on the ship. Like, you get Cartwright, who's just, like, kind of singularly uh, mutinous and, like, an asshole... And then you've got like the young guy, the the dope, who thinks it was like his bad luck because he won the the pool. That guy's of funny. What sector they were going to? Yeah, I mean the the guys are good, but none of them are doing as much as a uh, Rickles. They're not given as much either. I think like basically this movie is uh, our captain, the second in command, and then it's Warden and uh, Rickles. And then, like, everyone else is sort of, like, a lesser role. When you got Don Rickles, you just, you gotta let him work. You gotta let him cook. It's the movie where they learned that. <laughs> oh, shit. But yeah, he's so pumped. They, 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 like, they do their trick. They sink. They fire bow shots at this ship's coming right at them. They sink it. Amazing. Everyone's flipping their lid. Don Rickles is so impressed that when the radio comes in, and they don't know yet, the, the Japanese radio lady doesn't know yet that one of their ships were lost. She's talking about the number of American ships they've shot down. And Don was like, you forgot one of yours. We took him down, lady. A tin can. Oh, he's so psyched. <laughs> and then, so then they're fucking ready to take on Moby Dick. Basically. They, right, and the whole crew is, is psyched, but like they start getting suspicious. Like There's rumblings in the ship. Burt Lancaster and one of the other guys are like wondering, you know, it's interesting that we did that and we won. It's cool, but you would never fight a ship that way there's no reason to fight a ship that way at all at any point in time and they're they're piecing together that the only reason you would develop this strategy is if it had one specific use case against one specific deadly japanese warship that your captain has a vendetta (laughs) against yeah there's like a really funny scene where um lancaster is in clark gable's office and he's like listen, motherfucker, I know that you're taking us to the Bungo Straits, and that's against orders, and I don't think the crew is going to be too happy to hear it. And Clark Abel's like, that's right, we are going there. And then he flips on the radio, and he's like, listen up, motherfuckers, we're going to the fucking Bungo Straits, so, like, buckle up. He's just like, he, 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 yeah, he says there's going to be some kind of... He just stares down Bert. <laughs> like, yeah, what are you, you going to fucking do? going to be some kind of, like, either, like, buckling or some kind of confrontation, and he's like, no, yeah, you're right, uh, that's exactly what we're doing. And I also love how he shoves it in Bert's face because Bert, Bert says, you know, it's against our rules or our, our mission objective says we can't go to the Bungo Straits. And Clark Gable's just like, it's within Captain Discretionary to go wherever 
he deems uh, worth going as long as there's an advantage. Yeah, he's like, by <laughs> what our right? our advantage is we, we beat that ship. Yeah, he's like, by what right are you taking us there? And he's like, a captain's right. Like, I can do whatever the fuck I want. You forgot that captains are the captain of the ship. Yeah. We're out. We're out here, buddy. Who do you think is going to stop me? <laughs> what boss are you going to go to? I went to the manager to get this job as captain. There's no manager for you to go to right now. This is his equivalent of like Quint breaking the radio in Jaws. Of the like, no, we're out here and we're staying out here until we get the thing I'm obsessed with. He did a good job, though, of waiting till the crew was all geeked up on their big win to like let them know they're going into murder zone. Mm-hmm. It's it's a clever strategy on his part. He he basically waited until they could they could find a ship, test out their strategy so he knew it worked and to then use that juice to be like, no, we're we're going straight. Um I love the the intro to that sequence too. When Bert uh, goes and confronts Clark Gable, he's like, as soon as they sink the ship, he like starts going over a map using he's like furiously comparing uh, their coordinates to a map, and he takes the physical map over to to Clark Gable. He's like, "I got you, buddy. I know where we're going." And Clark's like, "Yeah, <laughs> so what? Yep, you figured it out. Okay, congrats." what next you have no power here is what he says <laughs> you think this gives you power over me do you feel <laughs> in charge yeah he uh when they meet up with bungo pete though doesn't uh doesn't go how he <laughs> how he thought it would they get fucked up by a bunch of airplanes yeah so they um right after they sink that warship they find bungo pete and the bungo straits that's where he lives. And there's this giant convoy and warship. They take their shots, except the entire Japanese Air Force knows they're there. And yeah. this is like the this is the big like the downfall, the big ego moment of Clark Gable, right? He's on the bridge. He's he's looking out over. He's like, I see them. We're going to fight. Him. And the entire crew is yelling at him. The Air Force is coming to us. They are going to kill us from the air. We need to go away. And Clark Gable's like, we're going to attack Bungo Pete. Like, we're here. We're not going anywhere. And I like that really you get shots out. of uh, Bungo Pete, too, and he's got, like, an evil scar on his face. He's, like, fucking Blofeld. I love every time we see the crew of the Japanese ships, and I love that it's not subtitled. It's just in Japanese. Yeah. And, and you can you can tell what they're saying, because usually they intercut the crew of our ship talking to each other and then they cut over to the enemy ship and they're talking and you go they're probably saying basically the same thing yeah, in the just other direction stuff because it's usually like oh they'll have uh gable and lancaster arguing and then they cut to the first and second in command of the japanese ship and you go those are this those are the equivalent on the other team i i know what they're saying they don't have to translate it i get it yeah it's good i think at this point too they're the ship that they're trying to take down has a name uh the Akakazi. Akakazi. It's a cool name. Yeah, it is. And there's like a some rumblings that it has some kind of like supernatural power because it's taken down like seven ships. Yeah. It's it's the white whale. It's the, it's the deadliest beast in the Japanese seas. Everyone's scared of it. Uh, at the beginning of the movie, they found out they're going to section seven. Everyone's afraid because they know that this ship is there 
It sunk four ships, be- American ships before. No one survives. We can't make it. Uh, hell, um, when they're planning on going in that direction, when 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 Bert uh, confronts Gable, one one symbol of his obsession is Bert says, "If you win this, no one's gonna. You're, there's not gonna be a desk small enough for you. Like the fact that you went there and fought Bungo Pete, even if you win, is 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 gonna scar you for life." And and Clark Gable's response is, "I never even considered going back home." Or sorry, he says, um, I never even considered defeat is what he said. Like, you can tell in that scene, it's just, it's right in, in Gable's face and the way he says that line, that he had never thought, for the year that he obsessed with this revenge, never thought about anything other than the meetup with Bungo Pete. Anything after it, whether he would win or lose, whether, what would happen when he went back home, none of it, like, ever made, never, never entered his mind. He never thought beyond the confrontation. He does not know what happens next because he is entirely consumed by this lust for revenge. Yeah, he's on a death drive. He's <laughs> so much so that again they, they face Bungo Pete, and there he is, bombs, depth charges going off to the left and right at him from like basically the entire Japanese uh, air force, and he doesn't question for a second how they knew he was coming. How you can't have the air force ready to go. At any minute, they had to be ready. They had to be there. They had to know ahead of time. They are magic. They're magic. I think I think it's because they were magic. But bombs are going off left and right. His crew's yelling at him. He's like, we're going to fight anyway. And they fire off. I think I think they miss. They do miss. I'm, I'm saying I think. I know they miss because the ship doesn't die in the scene. And they dive in a... They have this cool shot where they dive. One of the torpedoes is coming back in their direction. And it just barely skates past the like mast or whatever the the part that sticks out of the top of the sub. Yeah, it looks really fucking cool. It's this miniature torpedo. It's this miniature ship sinking, and like the torp. And the, this scene goes on for like five or ten seconds, and you see the 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 sub slowly sinking and the torpedo slowly getting closer. And it's so tense because these battle scenes have like no music. The movie is punctuated by bits of music during dramatic moments, but when the battles are going on, they cut it. They go to silence, and it's just the sounds of the ships, the levers, the buttons, the people the yelling. The sonar, the sonar pings the sonar. make it very scary. Extremely tense, extremely scary. It, in that moment, I think they're sinking, and it is, it's just the sound of the radio guy talking about how close the torpedo's coming. And then it just barely doesn't hit them, and it's just, it's extremely tense. That whole time, I was just thinking that, like, being in a submarine in fucking world war ii that's like hell to me Mm -hmm. that's like i would rather be anywhere else at any time in history than in a fucking submarine underwater with bombs Mm -hmm. going off as they're diving the it's just they can't see because you know it's not like you have a camera outside your ship they're basically blind except for sonar and you just have the sonar guy narrating what he can see on the sonar but that's all the info you have inside that. So you have no idea how safe you are. You're just like, all you have is this one guy who can tell you kind of, sort of where the warship is while you hope that the depth charges don't kill you. I mean, if a depth charge went off, I would be hoping that it did kill me because if it doesn't, you're just fucking underwater. Like, <laughs> sucks so much. And I'd like a cool thing that this scene does that I hadn't considered is that like 
the torpedoes that are in your submarine are also very dangerous to you. Like, Mm -hmm. one starts, like, fucking going off. I was like, oh, man, those things, I guess, can just, like, blow up in your own sub. Mm -hmm. And And then it just just falls and crushes a guy. Yeah, crushes a guy, uh, Clark Gable. So the depth charge does go off. One of the depth charges from the from the million planes in the air goes off underneath the ship, which is what it's supposed to do. Kind of sucks, though. You're a sub. You're supposed to be deeper than that. Guess you didn't win that race to the bottom. But uh, it goes off and it it floods their torpedo, their front torpedo compartment. And Clark Gable, good captain that he is, rushes the down tubes. there to fix it. And the guy bonks his head immediately. He falls and bonks his head on a torpedo. Hmm. He bonks like himself to character. death. Not, not quite to death. Death. He gets knocked out for a while, though. What, Clark Gable? Clark Gable, yeah. yeah. Another guy what? gets bonked to death, though. Three yeah. guys get bonked to death. People get <laughs> bonked by the torpedo. Yeah, Clark Gable, he gets in a bad way from it. Another movie that's very uh, respectful of head injuries and the damage they can do to you. A concussion, that's what really what the dad core cinema club podcast is about is to you know if you get a concussion get it checked out what was what was the other concussion movie was it open was it open range yeah open range open yeah it was it was because yeah it, they were afraid that for the kid it would leave him permanently funny that's mm-hmm. right um yeah no this is this what this podcast we're doing a psa you know we're going to war with uh, the nfl and the wwe yep I'm Come at with. us. Tell the truth. I'm telling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he does. He like Clark Gable gets a head injury and gets fucked up. He's all woozy, but he does have some good uh, instructions and ideas before he passes out. Like he says to take the people that are already dead and chuck them out of the ship with some like blankets and stuff. So that they think everyone's dead. Mm-hmm. In, he says he does something to do the darkest thing, which is to send up the dead bodies as well. Yeah. No. Yeah. The, up the tubes. It's, it's the I and it's smart. It's such a smart play to send up all your laundry and dead bodies up the tubes. But man, is that. It's another th- like this movie has incredible acting. There's something about submarine movies. I said I wanted to get to the front. This is what I wanted to get to about submarine movies, which is they force you to shoot most of your movie in close up. And the thing about close ups is you have to have incredible acting to do a movie that's almost entirely close ups. You have to have a cast that's as good as Clark Gable and Burt Lancaster as your leads to make that work, because the camera is always going to have to be in. You can't do a wide shot in a sub. There is no wide shot of a sub. It's tight corridors and tight rooms. You are always going to be in that guy's face. And these are both two incredible actors. So when Clark Gable tells Burt Lancaster to put the bodies in the tubes, you can see, he goes in the room and he, you, you can see the look on his face when they start putting the bodies in the tubes. Like it, it's killing him to do it. He doesn't have to say anything. You know that like when he gets that order, he follows it silently and it's killing him the entire time. It's because it's, it's depressing to have to like, oh, you know, we're going to use the are my dead coworkers to try to get an advantage in this to, to get away, not an advantage to save everyone else's life. It's necessary to live. Yeah. But dark. Yeah. Got to defile some bodies. No, you're right, though. Like, I think of Burt Lancaster as being like this big, uh, you know, like physical presence. He was kind of an action guy. Yeah. But like he is he's got the like with face acting he's got the goods too 
Mm-hmm. He's got everything. He was like, I was saying up front, um, he reminds me of like a Tom Cruise and he's a guy who was known for doing his own stunts, but he never stopped also doing the incredible acting performances as well. So he would do a big action movie like The Flame of the Arrow or The Train, but also doing movies that are just, we're putting a camera in your face and you have to act like Sweet Smell of Success and uh, Run Silent, Run Deep. Yeah, I I really like his willingness to play some kind of like meaner, uh, gnarlier, more cynical roles as a leading man. Mm-hmm. He brings kind of like a, a world weariness with him, I think. He's got, um, and in this role too, he has this uh, a really warmth to his speech. He's a very, he has a very warm voice and a very warm uh, cadence the way he speaks. And that can bring this, um, I think you just said world weariness to, to his roles. Um, he can bring a soulfulness. He, he's, he has a very, he has a very soulful voice that can bring in. We talked last, last episode about how like Ray Scheider has soulful eyes. Uh, Lancaster has a very soulful voice that he can bring to any line. Yeah. He, he really knows when to, uh, cut in with the, the tenderness to mm-hmm. like I feel like most movies he spends most of the time being kind of like a hard man but then the when those moments come through when you see that he's actually got a heart of gold he's really good at like using those few moments like to their fullest effect i think because mm-hmm. like you you really believe and get the sense throughout the movie that he has like a real affection and like sense of duty for for his men Mm-hmm. and for his captain there's a something i really love about this movie is the two leads while they are silently and deeply uh at odds with one another they never lose respect for one another there's a, a moment earlier in the movie clark gable is asking the guy who's sort of his bootlicker um jack warden uh he's like do you think i'm crazy like what we're doing because uh, Burt Lancaster thinks I am, and I respect his opinion very deeply. You know, it's it's this moment of even for Clark Gable's moment of of vulnerability where he admits, like, I res- the guy who hates me and is standing against me, I respect so deeply that he's making me somewhat question, not enough to stop, but somewhat question my motivations and my role here. Uh, yeah, you get the undying respect. Yeah, you get the like mutual respect thing flowing in the other direction too, with like, um. At some point towards the beginning of the movie, like up to that point, you've had like the whole time Britt Lancaster's like, fuck this guy. This is fucking stupid that I am not the captain of the ship. And like, I don't like this mission has been like his stance the whole time. And he goes and like has dinner with the other officers down in the submarine. And the dude Cartwright is like this fucking captain crazy. Yeah. And Lancaster's immediately like shut the fuck up keep that shit to yourself like do not ever talk like that around me there's an explicit attempt at a mutiny it's like 25 minutes in or so it's like in the first third where the crew is like we want to put you in charge we don't trust this guy and Burt Lancaster looks at this room full of guys and it's like a half dozen guys all pressuring him and he goes there is only one captain of this ship do you understand and he makes them all say yes and then he's like good back to work he doesn't agree with the captain. He thinks he should be in charge, but he also believes that like there's, there is a captain and it is not me and I am not doing a mutiny. 
Yeah. Even when the boss is wrong, he's still the boss. Mm-hmm. And you can get that, like, we skipped their first meetup. There's a moment in the beginning of the movie where Burt Lancaster first meets um, Clark Gable. And it's one scene. It's He comes to Clark Gable's house. He says, he asks, he, he basically submits his resignation. He says, I don't want to be your second in command. The crew won't follow you if I'm there because they're going to try to push for me. I am saving you. And then I'm going to go command a different ship. Let me go. Clark Gable says no, because he also knows that the Navy won't give him the ship without a competent second in command to run it. So that was like their initial, what sets it up. Like Berlangaster is like, I'm looking out for you by trying to get away from this. It's not just you. And it's not just our disagreement. It's not just because you stole my ship. It's because the crew won't follow you if I'm there. And it, it sets it up early on. And also the fact that I respect you too much to put you in a position where I will be distracting from your leadership. Yeah, that scene too has some really good and uh, like unsubtle framing and blocking where like Burt Lancaster shows up to like give him the business, but Clark Gable's like up in a tree, like towering mm-hmm. over him. And he's having to like talk and yell up to him the whole time. And Bert's in his full military dress, Clark Gable's in casual clothes. So immediately like, oh, Bert Lancaster's all business. Clark Gable is, you know, his own. He's He doesn't have to be all business because he's not, because uh, he's in charge. It's good stuff. But uh, his head injury gives. He gets all kooky in the head. Yeah, gives he, Bert Lancaster an in to take over. Yeah, uh, Gable wakes up from blacking out and the, do- the ship doctor's like, hey, um, you blacked out for like a day. If you don't rest, you're going to keep blacking out every few hours until eventually you don't stop blacking out. You stop unblacking out. You're going to black out forever. You're going to, you're going to die. So cool it, buddy. Yeah. You'll keep hearing. What is it, sir? I can't make that out. What is it, sir? I can't make that out <laughs> forever. Cause of course, before he blacked out, we miss that. Uh, it's when they, the attack before the torpedo turns around and comes and gets and there's some something is 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 beep 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 Morse coded over the radio and they can't make out what it is and this plays in Clark Gable's what head for like the rest of the movie. He's <laughs> like having fever dreams of the last thing he heard. His death rattle. He's got a scratch on his uh his brain's like a record player and the record's got a scratch on it. Just skipping. Yeah, he's got a stuck in a loop. But then he wakes up and he's like. We got to get back to the fucking Bungo Straits. We got to go back. Uh, and Bert Lancaster's like, no, dude, we're going to Pearl Harbor. Yeah, Bert's like, we're going to go bomb Pearl Harbor. We're going back to watch Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor where it's safe. <laughs> I don't think it's safe watching Michael Bay's <laughs> Pearl Harbor. As a, as a Bayhead, that's a, you're good, please. You're, I would rather be in the Bungo Straits than watching Pearl Harbor. Damn, harsh. Yeah, I think I like my odds there better. But um, Bert basically takes over the ship. He tells him we're going back. I'm relieving you of duty for your medical reasons. You're not fit to serve because you'll die if you're captain. So I'm taking over. And Gable's face is furious. He is just immediately boiling with rage. It's it's great. Well, he hits him with like a, a gotcha where he's like, if you disobey me, I'll fucking have you hanged. And Lancaster's like, we'll hang together, bitch. Like, <laughs> you are also disregarding orders, so like, let's do it. We'll we'll die together. Yeah, that's such a calls great. His, there's there's not many moments where they unleash on each other like that. 
but they hit hard those those times they they tear into each other that's basically Bert's like turning uh that's basically his turn from before when when clark gable hit him with a fuck you yeah we're going to the bungo now Straits, it's my buddy. turn you, you know bert's been been uh writing that in his head for like the past day and a half we'll hang together yeah, he's he's been like mulling that as soon as he left the room after that radio call he was like i fucking i should have said something i should have i should have said something man. he's in the shower uh, a really good bit came to him an hour later <laughs> and he was holding on to, that's why he came out with it so quickly when he took command later he's like i've, I've been waiting God, he, he actually he actually told the crew in the torpedo room when when the captain comes in, make sure he trips and falls. I got something. I got, lined I got up a good zinger. But uh, then they through the the Tokyo Rose broadcast, they are able to piece together that the Japanese aren't uh, mystical warriors. They're just looking at their garbage. They're just gross. They're just stinky, grubby little garbage guys. Because yeah, they're listening to the radio and the Japanese Rose starts naming the crew members that died, which is weird because you might know there's a ship there, but how'd you get the crew role? Is there a rat? No, it's because <laughs> Bert goes and talks to the garbage guy and is like, how do you wait on the bags? And the guy's like, I just put stuff in the bags. I don't. And he's like, well, do they sink? And he's like, I don't know if they sink. Listen, buddy. It's, my, not, it's my job to throw the trash overboard. Now my job to watch it sink, buddy. Yeah. Also, I I learned from this movie that, and I guess it makes sense because I, I I don't know what you would do with the trash otherwise. But you just litter when you're in a sub. Yeah, I think the ocean's just big enough that it it's not a big deal. Whatever. I'm like this movie. I think I'm on Jaws's side now. We're fucking up that ocean. Well, I think a lot of our trash just ends up there anyway. So they're just like cutting out a step by chucking it straight. No, they're cutting the out the middleman. Yeah, it's more efficient, I guess. Yeah, they just just dump your trash straight in the in the ocean. Yep, it's God's trash bin, really. That's where trash belongs. <laughs> it the wants to return to the bowl. ocean. But then once... but no, the, the Japanese fishermen have been pulling up their, these these bags of laundry and garbage and rummaging through it. To track their movements, I guess. Dirty. It was gross. And once Lancaster figures that out, he's like, maybe we should go back to the Bungo Straits. He it's so easy to convince him. He catches the Bungo bug. He, he does. I love it because he goes to Clark Gable and explains, we're going back. And it's because of the garbage thing. And Clark Gable goes, no, it's not. <laughs> I knew you were crazy like me. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, like, he says that he's like, I saw it in your eyes. <laughs> it's because you lost and you got to win now. Yeah, it's so funny. It's such a funny call out. He's like, I knew it. It's not. It, don't fucking lie to me. It's not the trash thing. It's not you figured out You've the puzzle. The crazy eye. It's because you're crazy. <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, I want to go back because we have like a tactical advantage now. And Gable's like, no, no, no. No, 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 no. no, no. <laughs> but i mean when he says that lancaster is kind of like you know what you got me i do yeah i caught he the does fever. that walter white like you got me <laughs> <laughs> but the the round two versus bungo pete Ooh, there's an important part of this which is 
the 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 crew does a, a little ritual, which I think is very sweet. They, oh, because they're smacking because Bert's ass. the captain now. They let him. So there's a we didn't talk about this actually. There's a there's a picture of a woman on inside the ship, and a before they girl. go out, they always tap her butt. And because Bert's the captain now, the crew gets together, tells him we got you a present. We we want you to tap her butt first this time. And he gives it, most of the guys slap it real hard. He gives her like two tender taps. Really soft. Yeah, and then tearfully he's like, thanks fellas. That means a <laughs> thanks lot. For letting <laughs> me touch, thanks for letting me touch the butt of this playboy you put up. Yeah, it's like their, uh, their Notre Dame, uh, like play like a champion today sign, except for it's just an ass that they're all smacking. Just guy <laughs> stuff. Just dudes. Just guy be, guys being dudes. Yeah, it is really funny how like respectfully he treats uh them putting him at the front of the ass tapping line. Thanks, boys. I he treats this. it like just as sweetly as he treated them giving him a jacket um at the beginning of the movie. Like this is like this is the biggest and, and most amazing thing you could have done for me. I appreciate it so much. Like I love you guys. But it's I got to tap the butt of this picture. Yeah. It's, it's like at the fucking end of return of the king when like all of gondor kneels before the hobbits and they're all like oh my gosh wow except for he's just <laughs> tapping a butt picture yeah it's aragorn tells the hobbits you tap after no one yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah they do let him tap the ass before the the rematch it it's really like it's like rocky like rocky one it was just about going the distance with Bungo Pete, but now they're coming back for Rocky Two to to win. If you think about it, Bungo Pete is sort of like the Tank Murdoch of this movie. Mm, they spend the right. whole time talking about him, and then I don't think he's really all that tough. He's not. He just had a little fucking trash trick. Yeah, if you get rid of the trash trick, hmm, he's like, nothing. Yeah, he's a gimmick act. Because the whole trick, the whole strategy that Clark Gable came up with, um, was hey. As long as no one at any point in all of Japan ever knows we're there, and as long as nothing ever goes wrong, they, they ran away from the sub at the beginning because they didn't want to waste torpedoes. They um, are avoiding patrols because they have to make sure that no one sees them. They take down the one patrol just so they can you know practice, but then once they have it down, save all your munitions. We have to save everything from Bungo Pete. The plan needs no one to know you're there, and then the trash thing gave them away. But now they know how to be stealthy, which means they can sneak up on Bungo Pete. No one can stop them. What and are they, they doing with their trash, though? I think they're just... There's a good line from the cook that's like, I don't know, what's the cook supposed to do? Eat the trash? And they're like, so they're like, it's like lining the hallways, I assume. I think he's eating the trash. Maybe. I think they're like, you know what, buddy? Good idea. Maybe it's like down Periscope, and you know, all of their food's really old because it is the trash. They can't tell the food from the trash. No got a gross cook but the the rematch with bungo pete's really good i think because it's it's burt lancaster he's up at top commanding this fight against bungo pete and it intercuts and it's this it's this great the battle scenes in this movie are great we talked about them before already the mixture of miniatures rear projection shots when they're up above the water and the shots from inside of the sets of the hallways and the command rooms of the sub are just wonderful and it's they add another element to this, which is while they're intercutting between those elements, Burt Lancaster is aiming them at the, the cargo ship, and then once Bungo Pete turns, they fire two missiles at Bungo Pete. 
and the whole time they're cutting back to Clark Gable lying in bed sick and repeating in his mind is this Morse code and then someone going, I can't make out what it means. What is it, sir? What is it, I sir? Can't make that out. And it keeps cutting back. It keeps cutting. And, and it's this implication that Clark Gable is piecing together what this message was. What does it mean? What does it mean? You know, he's doing that. He's doing the like, there's there's math symbols floating in front of his face. Mm-hmm. He, he's he's doing all the, he's doing, he's going to his mind palace like in Sherlock. He's doing the math like in Hangover. He's figuring it out. Somebody doesn't actually figure it out. They take down Bungo Pete and at no point does Clark Gable piece it together. Yeah, very weird. And then, um, they take out Bungo Pete. He blows up the whole ship. Cheers. And then a torpedo comes. Oh, no. Clark Gable's like, I know what it is. There's another thing. And everyone's like, yeah, we, there's a torpedo coming. We, we know. They shot at us. <laughs> there's another uh, submarine, guys. Like, so yeah, they take dude. it down. I love the reveal of the submarine because they, they start. Clark Gable pieces together. He's like, wait, wh-? it's actually before the torpedo because he's like, wait, why is there still a signal going while after we defeated Bungo Pete? Because the first time he just thought maybe it was Bungo Pete. This time he's like, wait, there's another ship? So he's like, dive, and they dive, and the torpedo, I think, just bar- it just barely misses them, same as before. Another cool shot of a torpedo just barely missing the top of the submarine. Well, then the two submarines barely miss each other. They, like, dive That is so much fucking the cooler, submarine. too. Right after the torpedo misses, they cut to the Japanese sub, and it's just like, it's a it's Bert uh, and his periscope behind him, and it's almost like a match cut between the two periscopes. Because it cuts, then they're both in the center frame of the periscopes are when they're in the Japanese sub and they're talking. And it's Bert and Clark Gable were talking and they cut to the Japanese sub and the Japanese uh, commanders talking to each other. Again, before, like before, we don't need to know what they're saying. We kind of know that what they're saying is there's an enemy sub, which is what Clark Gable and Bert were saying. Um, and the two subs just miss each other. Yeah, there's this great shot of uh, our ship sinking or diving. And then the other Japanese sub going straight. And they don't know where each other are because they got their engines on low and whatever and just barely miss each other. They just go right, just barely past each other. Yeah, and then they, they have both like cut a engines. standoff, yeah, so that they can't see each other. The, a submarine's vision is based on movement, like a T-Rex. Mm-hmm. So if yeah. they stay perfectly still and don't talk inside the submarines, then they won't know where the other one is. Yeah, I thought, is that, like, real? Like, why were they whispering and shit? They can't, like... <laughs> they hear. They had to cut the engines. So they cut the engines so they can be completely silent because the radar is based on noise or something. Yeah. I'm but can it detect... Up. Can it... Well, I mean, radar, they, like, send out a ping and how long it takes the Echo to return is, like, how far away the thing mm-hmm. is. But they're like, we'll cut the engines. No extraneous movement or talking. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's unlike every sub movie I've ever watched, though, is we need to cut the engines and go silent. I mean, it makes the scene extremely tense because, again, there's no score and now no one is talking and there's no engine noise. And they introduce something interesting in this in this scene as well, which is something I I learned from this movie, which is that it makes sense if you think about physics. Submarine can't stay submerged unless the engines are running because the submarine will just naturally from its buoyancy float to the top. And so while they're waiting there, Clark Gable mentions, well, our, they, they can't stay submerged without the engines running. So eventually they will have to rise. And Bert's like, well, let's hope they do it first. And in the background of the scene is like the uh, elevation gauge. And it, it's, it's constantly ticking up as, they, as their ship slowly rises. And then they cut to the Japanese ship 
and the two commanders are talking to each other. And in the background of their shot is that same gauge rising. And so you, again, it's like, you don't need the translation. The translation was the cut before this, the scene with the Americans already gives you the translation for the Japanese commanders are talking about. It's, it's the exact same thing. They're in the exact same situation mm. as a mirror. So I just, it's just, it's brilliant every time they do that. The, the way they get out of the standoff is so fucking funny though, mm-hmm. where they're like, wait a minute. That sub is supposed to be protecting a bunch of ships. If it's just sitting here, it's not protecting the ships. We'll just go blow up the ships. <laughs> Clark Gable wins this movie by being just the Chad commander of a ship. Just like as brutish as possible. Because he's the one who comes up with that. He's like, let's go fucking shoot that cargo ship. Yeah. Like, if this if their submarine is just sitting here not moving, it's not protecting what it's supposed to be protecting. So let's just get the fuck out of here. They call the movie Run Silent, Run Deep, but Clark Gable's strategy to win in this movie is to run shallow, run loud. Yeah. Yep. He's running hot. Mm Mm-hmm. He's, you know, and the flame that burns brighter. Something twice as fast. Mm Mm-hmm. That's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I really like... Right now, he, like, he's, like... He's not blacking out because he's he's at full speed being commander of this ship, going as hard as he can. And I'm sure it goes well for him. It's like, it's funny that all of the problems in this movie arise from everyone just being like too damn brave. Like, uh, we can't go back to Pearl Harbor and dock because we're just too fucking heroic. We got to go kill these Japanese guys. I'm like, oh, I can't just sit here and work at my desk because I'm just fucking too damn brave. I got to get back in the boat. Very I'm just too uh, dedicated to my job. I'm too tough. Yeah, it's very like hoorah American military. It's like, you know what these guys' problems are? They're just too fucking tough and brave. It, it, we skip past it a little bit, but that comes up again. Like when Bert says they're going back to to. Uh to Pearl Harbor, the crew starts rumbling and fighting with each other because half the crew is like, fuck this shit. We're the toughest guys on the ocean. I've never gone back to base with 13 warheads in my armory. Yeah, what are we that doing? Guy rocks. He's like, I've done a lot of tours and I've never gone home with any missiles left. Like, and even, and even um, shit up. Don Rickles at this point is on the side of the captain. He's like, why are we going back? We could take them. Yeah. Like, the ship cool. almost died, and like half the people on the ship are like, "Why the f- we should not stop until we die." Man, what are we? Eighteen movies in. There's already at least the second one where the United States Navy gets a special thanks right at the beginning of the credits. Mm-hmm. Or you can, I mean, you know, Navy cooperation makes some cool movies. It's not my fault. Oh, I'm riding for the for the U.S. Navy. They're our favorite branch. I mean, when it comes to making movies, they mm. can't miss. I mean, they made like the best plane movie and like, I guess I was gonna say the best sub movie. I think every submarine movie is a Navy movie by default. So of course they would have made the best submarine movie. But like, how come the Air Force hasn't made a, a better plane movie than the Top Gun movies? They can't. They should make a boat movie. I think they should. Get one back, get a point back on their side. <laughs> yeah, what if the what if the Navy had the best plane movie and the Air Force had the best boat movie? They got boats in the Air Force. Figure it out. Boat in the air. 
no, there's a there's a Japanese sub. So what do they do? You rise to the top and they start taking on the cargo ships. And the other submarine, who is who is who is the secret Moby? There's a secret Moby Dick of this movie, because it turns out that that it's not the Akakazi that's been sh- that's been sinking all of these American subs. It's this submarine. the The great Japanese strategy was: we have a warship that looks like it's the main ship, and right behind it, under the water, hiding in its like radar vicinity, is a submarine that then takes you out because you don't know it's there. Dirty. They're just smart. Sneaky tricks. Sneaky. They're not fighting fair. (laughs) You can't have a hidden sub. (laughs) Uh, But we still win anyway. Mm -hmm. I love the way they win. Underhanded tricks. I love the way they win. Because the way they win is the submarine tries to hide behind. They have every single one of their uh, convoys, Japanese convoys, has a decoy cargo ship. Which just has like, it just has empty cargo, so it runs higher on the water than a full cargo ship because the cargo is not weighing it down. The submarine hides behind this decoy ship, and uh, Clark Gable's like, "Just shoot under the decoy. It's high enough above the water that you can still hit the sub behind it." And it's so fucking cool. They launch two torpedoes straight at this cargo ship, and they cut to the Japanese ship, and the Japanese are like. What the fuck? And they cut back to the torpedoes skating underneath the car, the the decoy, and cut back to the Japanese ship, and they're like, "What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> they can do that?" And then there's a the explosion. Of this movies are so cool. I just love watching miniatures explode. Yeah, there's a bunch of ships getting blown the hell up. All of the fights oh, in night. this movie are sick. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of night battles too. So you get a bunch of cool like. Where the lights reflecting off the dark water and the ships, it looks really cool. Robert Wise, you know, he knows how to put a picture together. Yeah, I think he does a great job. He's somebody that, like, I mean, he he's a journeyman. We we're kind of saying off mic, but like, he is one of those guys where, like, I don't necessarily think of him as being like a great director but then when i'm looking through his filmography i'm just like oh fuck he made that he made that of course he is yeah like i i never think of him when i think of my favorite directors but also and i've not seen a ton of robert wise movies uh i've seen this i've seen west side story and sound of music all three of which are like i love all three of these movies and, and there's i think they're really well directed it's just he's great such a reliable name yeah for sure uh i mean like i checked out the andromeda strain earlier this year which was really sick and like incredibly stylish i think he's got a lot of tricks in his bag yeah he just he adapts to the material really right yeah he's one of those guys that like his strength is like you know making the movie that the script dictates and he's like a type of guy that maybe if he had like zeroed in on a particular style he would be you know more highly regarded uh Mm -hmm. like if it was easier to find um more kind of like stylistic through lines with his work yeah like this movie looks nothing like west side story and i love both these movies so much but these those movies also look exactly like those movies need to look run silent run deep looks exactly the way a submarine movie needs to look serves its stars exactly the way it needs to serve mm-hmm. them um it is 
there's nothing I can point to that's wrong, anything wrong with the way he handles this movie. The way we keep, I keep saying it, you keep saying it, the way just it handles the battle scenes, uh, just top notch. And like the, it's use of miniatures. Like it's easy to take that for granted in like 2022, but in 1958, it's usage of miniatures and like the quality of effects it has is just beyond top of the line. This is what, four years after Godzilla and it's like four years after Godzilla and them like effects have come have come so long have come so far to have like a special effects movie like this that looks that is able to tie the effects to the to the human characters this well um is fantastic it takes a great director to handle yeah he just makes very like professional looking movies where you're like, oh, this is just made by someone who knows how to make movies. Yeah. yeah. The is Haunting one is one that I watch. The Haunting is one that I watch like every year and did not know that he directed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's like this Run Silent Run Deep is like it. it is just really technically well put together, but like really unfussy and unshowy. Like it's really just into showing you these boats and showing you Clark Gable and Burt Lancaster. It's not like trying to blow your doors off with yeah. uh, little camera tricks or anything. Yeah. And I think that's what it needs to be. This, like it, it serves like this movie serves its character story, the drama between its leads perfectly. It serves the effects perfectly. It just, it doesn't need to be anything else than what he he's able to put into it sub battles are also just like so cool yeah i feel like really inherently cinematic because like you get these big masses just kind of like slowly drifting across space while some other thing that could destroy everyone slowly <laughs> drifts towards them mm-hmm. yeah uh we we talked about a little bit earlier in the podcast but it's that mixture of claustrophobia and grand scale it can sub movies get to do both at once this movie gets to cut to a wider shot of miniatures laying out the battlefield so we understand the geography of the fight and then cut and spend most of the time in narrow hallways in command rooms and or just guys vulnerably above the ship in the lookout spot while we have in our mind the geography of where they are within this greater sea battle but the drama of the scene is confined and tight and claustrophobic. It, it gets to do both. And like other war movies don't really get to tank movies. I think can theoretically, I don't think I've ever seen a tank movie. But I think a tank movie could do the same thing. Yeah. Um, I never saw fury, which I've been meaning to I've heard good things about tank movie. Yeah. I've heard that's really good. Sub submarine things too. Like, it can only get so frantic. They're almost like slow cinema war movies. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of uh, just guys waiting to blow up. I think you yeah, get... You, you don't get to fire a machine gun in a submarine. You get to fire a torpedo and then you wait 60 seconds yeah. for it to hit. And there is so much tension built up in listening to the radar as it or the sonar, sorry, as it pings a torpedo coming your way. Or it pings your torpedo as you're waiting to find out if it hits. And so much of this movie in the battle scenes is them cutting the music and just having us listen to the sonar 
listen to the guy who reads out the distance that things are from each other, listening to the people read out depth or people read out uh, a command that gets repeated five times down, down the hallway. That is all elements that build so much tension. Uh, mm. And so the action is in the weight. The action is in the, um, the suspense. It's inherent to that situation. Yeah. I think too, with a sub movie, even if it's not like part of the plot, you, you do have just looming over the situation because they are, so extremely isolated this like lord of the flies like the the power dynamic has the potential to like swing really drastically because there's nothing around stopping it you just have like 15 guys or whatever deciding the rules of their little micro society that they have this movie has with it the threat that the power dynamic will change between gable and lancaster the entire time and even though it only changes like right in the last it's pretty much the last 20 minutes when it finally switches to lancaster in charge uh it takes that long but it feels so tense between them the entire time you're waiting you know it's coming but you don't know when that when that dynamic is going to switch and but because then, it's a well, sub and you know they're trapped there and the tensions are only building the entire time mm -hmm. it, it just it's constantly feels like the subs can explode from the uh the pressures it's interesting too because like the whole like you said like the whole movie is kind of built on this expectation that at some point like the shoe will drop and the power dynamic will flip but then when it does it doesn't really because Burt Lancaster just ends up doing exactly what Clark Gable is going to do anyway. Yeah, this is sort of a Moby Dick story where, Moby, where, where I was going to say Moby Dick wins. That's not his name. Captain yeah. Ahab wins. Well yeah. It's I mean it's similar because Clark Abel does die. He lives long enough yeah. to help them win and then dies immediately. Yeah, we we uh we skip that part. Clark Gable does die after they like the smash cut after they beat the Japanese sub is they're over the ocean. Clark Gable actually Clark Gable like faints during the battle, and then after like we just cut and it's a they do a burial at sea for the captain. Yeah, and Bert Lancaster should have gives, chucked like, him out of the tubes like he said to do to the other fucking guys. Yeah, they should have. He's like, "Fuck this guy." <laughs> no, they give him the most respect in the world. The whole crew's come around on him. Everyone loves him. There is like, it is a tale of obsession, and 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 he does pay the ultimate price. He dies because he ignored his health. Like his obsession with getting this, uh, with getting his revenge, manifests itself in his like his blacking out and and his health problems, and the fact that like. The only reason he dies is he doesn't rest. Like if he had rested in bed, he could have radioed up and told them, hey, die if there's a sub. He didn't have to go up and take on the sub. He decided to, and that decision killed him. His obsession directly kills him. And like he does lose, but also he's right in the end. His plan works and everyone loves him. He won. He's the winner. Except his wife, I guess. His wife probably doesn't love him. She's probably mad. Now she's got twice as much lemonade to drink. <laughs> did you know that uh him getting sick wasn't in the book no so it was uh clark gable's idea that the character becomes sick and not able to take command by the end he came up with that idea because he did not want to look weak by losing a power struggle with lancaster damn so this is something that we talk about that like gets in the news a lot with like modern action stars, uh -huh. we hear a lot about how Vin Diesel or The Rock or Jason Statham 
has in a contract that says, I can't get hit in the face or I can't lose a fight. So the fight has to be a draw or I have to win a fight in return to make it even in the same movie. So Wait, here's one from 1958 <laughs> where a guy had the same clause. Yeah, I also read um, that there was like a little bit of friction on set because Clark Gable was like, I work nine to five. Uh, and like they would be like in the middle of shooting scenes and he would just be like, nope, my work day is over and I'm leaving. I read about that and I respected that so much. Yeah, good for him. Good for him. He's pulling the like the modern Clint Eastwood move of like, no, we're done shooting for the day. Everyone go I mean, home. That's like a big labor thing for the rest of the crew too. That like, he's like, these are the hours that we're working <laughs> because these are the hours that I'm working and I am the star. He's doing it selfishly, of course, but like I'm sure it rocked to be on that crew and know that you were not going to work overtime. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if he was like already not in the best health at this point too. That like it's probably good that he wasn't working like twelve hours a day or whatever a, a normal movie set is like. And I could not believe that I had never even like heard of this movie before. This is like, I hadn't heard of it until last year when I was watching a bunch of Burt Lancaster movies. I was just looking at his biggest ones and I'm like, wait, he was in a Robert Wise movie and I hadn't heard of it. With I got to watch Gable this. about a submarine. It was just like yeah. I was doing the Vince McMahon reaction thing with every bit I learned about this movie. That was me when I learned about the movie. I was like, this is the cast. This is the director. This is the plot. Like this is going on my list every once in a while in a while. It seems like maybe once a year I like find out about some movie that i was like what this seems like it was made for me like why has no one told me to watch this before now <laughs> so you liked it i really i really did like it yeah i mean this is just like there was zero chance that i wasn't going to like it like it would have had to be some kind of disaster it gave me exactly exactly what i wanted it does so much in like 95 minutes. 90, sorry, it's like it's 93 minutes, even less. Yeah, I mean, it's just plowing straight ahead for minute one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I have much more to say about it. It's like a really tight, tight movie. It was my second time watching it. I, I love this movie a lot. So like I already knew the twists and turns of... Uh, not that many twists and turns, but like the like the Japanese, I knew that, knew that there's a secret Japanese sub. Um, now this movie relies on twists or anything, but like I knew what was coming. I knew I knew when the drama beats were gonna hit. But this movie still works so well second time. Like I, I love this movie. I, I think I like this movie in more sec. Like going through it my second time, it's just those performances are so good. I was paying so much attention this time out to to the pacing to just when beats were hitting since I knew they were coming, and I was taking I was literally taking notes for the first ten minutes. Because I, I knew it got into the action really quickly, so I was writing on timestamps of like, okay, this is when this happened. And it just amazes me that this is a 93-minute movie where 83 minutes of it is on the boat. Like You could so easily make a 120-minute version of this movie that has a 30-minute preamble to the story that goes through like him obsessing on land and or even more of him like at sea before he gets sunk the first time. And instead... It just gets straight into it because the only thing that matters is um, the actual story of obsession and revenge. You don't need the preamble. You get it. You know that he's obsessed. All you need to see is the obsession play out. 
Yeah, and and like the moments that they do give us to set it up are like more than enough. Super effective. It doesn't. You don't feel shortchanged. It's a very economical mm-hmm. story. Yeah, like um, you say. I was I was just thinking about these the other day. Kurt Vonnegut has like it's like what was they called seven rules for storytelling. Uh, one of them is to start as late as possible. His rule is like, you don't need a lot of preamble. You can start as close to the action as, as possible and get the audience into it. It's one of his rules. This movie epitomizes it. It is just within 10 minutes. It's like we're in the, the, the reason you're at this movie starts within 10 minutes. You're already watching these two guys, butt heads and a power struggle in this tale of obsession or revenge. Boom. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's a super tight movie. Uh, the performances are excellent. It's shot extremely well. There's like, I think this is the least soundtrack to movie we've covered so far. Yeah. The, at the no beginning, music. there's barely there's score and the, the, um, sonar is like mixed into the music, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool. And I was expecting that to like carry through, but yeah, there's really not a lot of music. There's a, for they'll have like musical cues come in and then immediately cut back to just silent soundtrack um while you hear the sound effects in the characters which is so effective for the tenseness of the movie for the tension that is just yeah it's so it's so cool the sound design of the movie is great the use of miniatures is awesome i love i love me a miniature uh i, I mean I yeah it's it's nice to promise a sub movie and deliver so much sub mm-hmm. it's like the i think it's tom petty the don't bore us get to the chorus like mm-hmm what you give the people what they want don't fucking hang around i came here to see moby dick you know what fuck uh fuck the book moby dick i don't need to read a 500 pages or whatever i can watch 93 minutes baby that's the whole thing brevity i'm actually currently reading moby dick (laughs) and i'm sure that was an interesting thing to do uh to see this movie yeah i mean the book Moby Dick is mostly a like made up encyclopedia about whales. So uh you know the 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 plot stuff I don't think is the main point of the mm-hmm. book Moby Dick. So it's it is nice to get like 15 years an abridged uh an abridged version. What if they made this movie 3 hours long but most of it was descriptions of the submarine techniques? Yeah, every part yeah, it's like chapter 57. I bet you hadn't considered why submarines are gray. And there's like 30 minutes about that. They cut to like, they would, you intercut it with interviews with experts who are like, so you just watched that guy push that button. Let me explain to you what this button does. Yeah. So like, there's like an hour of the movie of some random crewman telling a story about a different submarine that he was on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> When uh, at the beginning of the movie, where when Gable's told about a fourth sub that got sunk, we cut to a guy who tells that story for like yeah, you get the whole <laughs> the whole movie of that. Uh, yeah, this is a great movie. Uh, I don't have any more points. I was gonna, only other thing I have is I think it's interesting, and we didn't plan it this way. We just like we we plan out our movies like a day a week in advance, like the day of the podcast. We go, what's next week, and then we come up with something. Last week, we were like, we forgot to plan. While we were recording Jaws, I was like, what do you want to do? 
And I think you said, I don't know, run silent, run deep. And I went, cool. That was it. We didn't think about it. But man, this pairs really nicely with Jaws. Yeah. Like, we, it's going... like if the movie of Jaws was about uh, was about Quint. Yeah. Yeah. And if Jaws was a Japanese guy. Mm-hmm. Very, like, Quint gets sunk by a Japanese sub. Here we have, uh, what if he, well, what if we, like, watched him in World War II? It's, it's, it's someone whose <laughs> life is defined by what happened to him in World War II, except we're looking at the guy whose obsession and revenge manifested within a year, and instead of burning inside his soul for 30 years. Yeah. He, uh, he burned brighter. He did the, the Quint, uh, speed run. run. Yeah. Any percent. No, I, I just, yeah, th- thought that was interesting uh, to just like remember like, oh, we just did a movie about like a, a, a crazed for revenge World War II vet. And here we are doing another one. Uh, very, now, no, not, they would make a good pairing. Next week we have to sink even deeper into the ocean. Do uh, the abyss, the core. Mm-hmm. Just keep going deeper and deeper in our journey to the center of the earth. Do you have any final thoughts? No, got no thoughts. What, what are you giving it? I I think I'm sitting at like a four, 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 four and a half. Okay. It's not uh like I I really liked it. It's not going into like my favorite of all time type territory. It's just a solid, uh, good ass movie. How about you? Uh, I put it at a four and a half when I watched it for the first time last year. I think it's going to stay at the four and a half. We'll see. I'm uh, like a month behind on letterboxed reviews. So we'll see when I finally update it. Maybe I'll bump it up to a five. We'll find mm. out. I think it's at a four and a half. Five. When it's done simmering. It's done simmering in my brain for two months before I finally remember to update letterboxed. I love this movie a lot. I love the stars. Uh, big. I'm a big Burt Lancaster guy. So... Have a great time. But next week, we actually are going to sink even deeper into the ocean to the lost city of Detroit, Michigan. We're going to be talking about four brothers. And to mark this special occasion, we're going to have four guys on the podcast. We're not brothers, uh, but it's going to be me and Charlie, like usual. And we'll be joined by Brett the Brettman Thousand and Zach Galactic Zach is what he goes by on Twitter. We got Brett and Zach on the pod next week. Kind of like bro- a band of brothers. We are the band of brothers talking about the four brothers, which is a really cool movie. You've never seen it. Never seen it. Ooh. Ooh. But until next time, remember, it's been about six months since we started this podcast. I know how some of us felt then. I think I know how some of us feel now. But let no one here, no one aboard this podcast, ever say we didn't have two hosts. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And oh, I didn't say our sign-out. This to make this awkward, and I'll be like, hey, follow us on Dadcore Cinema. Oh, right. <laughs> Twitter.com slash Dadcore Cinema. Follow me, Brandon, at that one guy 64 And me, the Tumboy. Pretend that all the stuff I said before this happened after this. Bye-bye. Bye.